Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. My guest today is Lillian Riki. Lillian is a parenting strategist and an advanced trainer in the Nurtured Heart Approach, NHA, which is a beautiful heart-centered way of communicating and relationshiping that she believes every family should understand and learn. Originally a school teacher, Lillian became a parenting strategist because of her journey with her youngest son who was diagnosed over 25 years ago with ADHD, ODD, and childhood depression at age four. Lillian and her husband Andrew decided to take a more holistic approach to helping their son after medication was recommended on several occasions for both her youngest son and herself. Over the past 20 plus years, Lillian has been featured many times on TV, radio, and as an expert guest on parenting summits and podcasts. She has written six books based on her family's journey and has also conducted many hundreds of seminars, workshops, and courses, both live and online. Lillian now partners with her eldest son, who is a naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist, and conducts online masterclasses and parenting courses. Her latest book is called The Revolting Child, A Blessing in Disguise. It is my pleasure to welcome to our podcast, Lillian Riki. Hi, Lillian. Hey, Roman. Awesome to be here. It's so great to have you. First of all, uh, the Australian accent is one of my favorite accents. Like, <laughs> I will say what competes with it is the South African uh, yeah. for, for me, but those two, I just love it. So it's always great to have an Aussie uh, with us. <laughs> and uh, and unfortunately, I say this with a smile, unfortunately, it's one of the four most, you know, mostly English speaking countries, Canada is English and French, but like one of the four English speaking countries that supposedly has a high number of ADHD, but we'll get into that. Yeah, I'd love to start with a question for you. Um, it's a variation of a question I normally ask, I ask what is ADHD, but I you have such an extensive experience with it 20 plus years, and we'll get into the story. But what was it for you when you first came in contact with a term and then perhaps go to what it is for you today, this thing called ADHD. Wow, that, that takes me back a long way. So I'm, I'm a teacher by trade, so I had heard of ADHD. It wasn't common when I was teaching back in the 80s. However, I had heard of it. At three and a half years old, my youngest son was diagnosed with ADHD and that's when we really started exploring what ADHD was. And of course, back then I knew it as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, a whole bunch of, you know, behaviours and conditions that our son was displaying and he was diagnosed with this thing called ADHD. And my husband and I were just pretty bewildered about it all because we were like, well, yes, our son is having some challenges. He is displaying these behaviours, but what's it got to do with this thing called ADHD? And so initially we did explore what ADHD was a lot. We actually bought a diagnostical statistical manual and actually really, you know, dove into exploring what it meant. And it just didn't make sense for me. Our son was struggling. We were struggling as parents. But what did that have to do with 
this thing called ADHD, which, you know, seemed to me to be like a, a disease or, a, you know, a, a disorder. And, and we were like, no, our son is not disordered. He does not have a disease. He's having some challenges. We're having some challenges as parents. So we were very confused back in the early days. And of course, when he was diagnosed several times in his early years with ADHD and also ODD, um, we we just, you know, we were at our wits end. We just didn't know what to do with that diagnosis. And of course, we chose not to, to follow their recommendations of medication, which came up so quickly. Yeah. And what was that like to be in a doctor's or psychologist's office and then suddenly have this medication suggested? Well, he was first diagnosed so th at three and a half years old when he was in childcare. They were really struggling with him. And they brought in initially um, a childhood um, psychologist who initially diagnosed him with childhood depression, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. And at four years old, um, antidepressants were recommended for him. At four years old? At four years old. And, and this was because he was uh, showing, uh, I don't know, hyperactivity or some sort? I mean, because depressed kids, I would imagine, would just sit there and not do, like, stare into the distance, No. It makes it made no sense. He was look total transparency. He was a handful. He was he was defiant. He was hyperactive. He could be aggressive. Um, he was you know nasty to other kids, and carers were struggling to get him to comply or be cooperative. So when you look at the you know, what they call ODD and ADHD, he did tick some of those boxes or a lot of those boxes, but I'm still like, you know, but to medicate him initially with, with antidepressants from there, Roman, so that was a diagnosis at three and a half. Well, he was just four by the time we got the official diagnosis. We then ended up, um, so that was a, a psychologist and we she recommended um, antidepressants, we said, thank you, but no, thank you. And we moved on from that centre because they just couldn't deal with him. Then mm. we ended up going to another psychologist, back to our GP, to a paediatrician, to another psychologist, to a psychiatrist, and all they could recommend over this was about over a 12-month period was medication. So we went from being diagnosed and recommended antidepressants to stimulant drugs and wow. I'm like this is BS this is crazy like we are not going to take this path with our son unfortunately 25 plus years ago there wasn't a lot of the education there is now and the holistic kind of viewpoint was not as readily kind of accessible back then so yeah. you know I love that saying if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer soon everything starts to look like a nail <laughs> <laughs> because everything Everybody just within sometimes within five minutes, a recommendation of medication was given, which blew, blew our minds. And we were just like, what is this flipping ADHD thing? Hasn't anybody else got any other recommendations other than medication? And it seemed not back in the day. Wow. And here's the sad thing, right? We back in the day, now we are today and we have the internet and we have all these tools and we have the alternative stuff. And yet 
the use of ADHD medication or prescriptions are on the rise, supposedly, yeah. right? Everything's on the rise. So it's like, well, we have more tools, but we still haven't stopped and asked the real question. So my question for you is, did you, did it ever come up with any of the practitioners that you took your son to that they would ask you serious and perhaps deeper questions about what was going on in your life and his life and in the family? No. No, no, not that I recall. I mean, it is a long time ago. Not that I, they, they purely were focusing on his behaviours. I mean, my husband and I, in total transparency, we were a calm, loving family. You know, like in 30 plus years of marriage now, my husband and I have never yelled at each other. We've never had a, a big, like we're a very kind of together family. So there wasn't that kind of environment. I do have a theory, if you're interested in hearing down the track, why oh, I feel. Always, always interested, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I want to thank you because listening to about 100 of your podcasts has helped <laughs> me to really, <laughs> to really um, listen to people like Gabor Mate and, and you know, Peter Bregan and Bruce Lipton and, and of course, my favourite, Howard Glasser, um, has had me really thinking, you know, back to my theory and now it really has come to life because if I can take you back to my pregnancy, yeah. and I know you talk a lot about stress and trauma that can start from pregnancy. So in my adult life, or actually from childhood, I was a migraine sufferer. I used to get uh, head migraines and also stomach migraines. Mm. And in my second pregnancies, not so much in my first pregnancy, but in my second pregnancy, my migraines escalated they got really nasty. And I have always been an anti-medication person. Like even with my migraines, I would only take something like aspirin if I had to. Like I wouldn't take any medications, let alone in pregnancy. I was very, very strict. Mm. Uh, however, about midway through my pregnancy, um, I got a woozy of a migraine, like a really, really bad migraine, so much so that I was literally in and out of consciousness. Like the migraine was so severe my husband literally carried me to the emergency department at the hospital and I was kind of with it but not with it whilst the doctor was, you know, looking at me and, and looking at the situation. I think I was about midway through my pregnancy, just around 20, 21 weeks. And the doctor said to my husband, if we don't do something about this migraine quickly, then we could have some, you know, troubles with the baby. So my husband had to make a decision that had I been, you know, lucid enough, I would have said no way. But the doctor um, gave me pethidine and Maxilon. And that in itself stressed me out because I was so anti-medication and I was so like I'm vegetarian, I don't drink alcohol, I've never smoked. And I, you know, I was really conscious of, of having a healthy pregnancy. And then these drugs were put into my body. So first of all, I always had a theory that those drugs affected my son physically, but through listening to your podcast, I think I've refined my thoughts that it was probably the stress and trauma that it caused to me, to my body and to his body. And Roman, interestingly, we sought a lot of um, alternative practitioners as you know, in our journey. And when our son was five years old, we went to somebody called a Moira therapist, M-O-R-A. And I talk about this in one of my books. And she actually, we didn't tell her that he'd taken these medications. She did some tests on her fancy machine. And she said, oh, when did your son have pethidine? And wow. we're like, 
Um, he's never had it. Once again, I'm really strict about that sort of stuff. And he said, well, there are traces of methadine in his body. So that drug was given to me at mm. when he was in utero. So that was still in his body five and a half years later. Wow. And this was detected by a machine. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's, you know, I always say like, we, I don't have the answers. Mm. I have experts who think they know the potential causes for disorders like ADHD and we may never know. Right. But it's, it's, I think it's highly likely that somewhere the combination of a, a medication that some, someone like your son might be allergic to, or that stresses yeah. his body and the stress during pregnancy can for one child be enough to set the nervous system into a defense mode and get locked there. And then when, when yeah. they're starting their life on earth, everything's a threat or they feel constantly it's too much information coming in or they're stressed out or right. We will never, we'll never know. I just, uh, yeah. you know, I, I just think that you have a theory there that's probably close to most likely uh, what happened. You know, a lot of, a lot of births are, very stressful, um, a lot of C-sections, even I've done research on circumcision, things like that are very traumatic for yeah. children, even if we say, oh, no, we're giving them medications and, you know, mm -hmm. just the process, they can sense it energetically. And, uh, you know, jaundice is also said to not the jaundice itself, but to take a, a child away from the parents and put them in the, the mm -hmm. little, uh, what do you Medicare. call that? Yeah. 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 So all those things, you know, we, we have yet to I think, acknowledge uh, how stressful these things can be to a, a new human being on this planet, right? Absolutely. And, uh, so that said, I want to just go into, I love uh, Howard, I've interviewed him and the nurtured heart approach. And I think it's such a phenomenal way of relating to children and, and just the, the core regulation. And so I just want you for the, for our listeners to, to take us through maybe how you ended up there as a parenting strategist, um, as, as somebody who teaches, uh, the heart, uh, nurtured heart approach and, and just what you believe today can, can really create, you know, these, these healthy, uh, fulfilling relationships between parents and children. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the journey has been interesting. So our journey, when our son was younger, we, we focused a lot more on, because my husband and I went on this path, like you and Tatiana have, we, we went on our own path of self-discovery. And so what we started with was diet and food and stuff like that because our son was very sensitive. And just taking it a step back again, during my um, labour, he was actually put on a stress monitor. He had a very quick, stressful birth. And from the moment he was born, he was a very um, stressful child. If he wasn't breastfeeding or if he wasn't sleeping, he was screaming. So he was from the get-go full on, really full on. And we identified um, as we were on this journey and as we were getting all of these, uh, you know, diagnoses of, you know, ADHD, ODD, childhood depression, and we're like, no, there's got to be something else to it. And we started, uh, you know, doing our own research and looking into food and food additives. Now I've heard some people say that they don't believe that that has an effect, but for us and for our family, our son definitely came into this world very sensitive. Uh, he was um, very sensitive to food colours, to preservatives, to additives, so much so that he could consume a food and straight away we could see an actual effect. 
um, that was proven time and time again. And as a matter of fact, one of the psychiatrists who was treating him debunked that and said, no, we don't believe that. And we left that psychiatrist. Anyway, we went on our own journey. So for the first um, like while he was in primary school, so from age five to 12, we focus more on the physiology of the body. So we focus more on, you know, food and food additives, toxins, EMFs, you know, just trying to clean up our environment to, um, and we were already pretty healthy being vegetarian, you know, not drinking or, you know, like just, I was already a pretty healthy person, but I did learn a lot more about what was in our foods, etc. So that kind of worked for a few years. We still had a bit of a roller coaster. I know you've talked a lot about schools and stuff. Boy, did we change. We, he went to five childcare centres, four primary schools. Mm. Uh, we kept changing schools. We finally found the Steiner system, but then we moved into state. We had a whole bunch of stuff happening that was both, you know, disruptive, but we were looking for answers. So I'm getting yeah. <laughs> I'm getting to the nurtured heart approach because it's a little ways in. No, but this <laughs> is this is good because I just want to point out that if parents are listening and thinking, oh, I don't want to do this to my child and move schools again, and there's instability yeah. and there's, but look, a couple of things. One, Caleb turned out right. <laughs> He's a functioning, uh, happy, successful human being, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, so so for for those of you listening, worried you know, he turned out. Second of all, I think it's to me, uh, more inspiring, courageous. And, um, I believe the right thing to do is, is to not settle for the first school or the nearest school or quote unquote, the best school in town, but to really continue looking into finding the best school for the child. Absolutely. And we lived in, I guess what you would call a large country town. So there were only five childcare centres in that town and we went to one each of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were on the fifth one just before he was ready to start school. Then he went into a conventional um, primary school. That did not work. Like he spent more time in timeout than he did learning. We then found the Steiner, Steiner School, which was about 45 minutes out of town, but my husband actually became a volunteer bus driver because we had a home-based business and he... Because not basically, if Caleb was on the bus, nobody else would drive it. So my <laughs> husband became. And so we had four amazing years in the Steiner system. However, that school closed down, unfortunately. Then he had to go back into mainstream. So, um, you know, we were doing in that in that whole kind of, you know, age five to 12, we were just doing everything, trying everything, exploring different schools, looking at diet, looking at, altern at alternative therapies, et cetera. And like, as I say, we had that roller coaster still. Things weren't perfect, but we had some great times. We still had some challenging times. He broke his teacher's nose in grade one. Um, but <laughs> um, how did that happen? Well, the teacher took some blame because he he was he was being aggressive, but she kind of grabbed him from behind to try and constrain him. And he did like a, a backwards head, uh, head So it wasn't like he punched her in the nose, but um, it, it was kind of an accident really. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so primary school years, um, yeah, we focused a lot more on, you know, the physical body and, you know, all the different alternative therapies and things were going okay. But when um, puberty hit, so when he was like, you know, 13 to 14, things really hit the fan. Like he went... I don't know what happened then. Like my husband and I were really focusing on, you know, 
um, a happy and healthy home and, and, and great relationships. But and this is alluding to what I've learned from Nurtured Heart Approach. But unfortunately, we were parenting unknowingly, unconsciously. I don't know. We weren't consciously parenting, even though I thought I was a good parent and I was a good teacher. But we were doing so much what we now call with Nurtured Heart Approach upside down parenting. So basically, we were giving so much of our energy, focus, attention, relationship to all the things that were going wrong for our son. And particularly when things took a downhill slide in, in high, when he started high school or secondary school, he was getting into so much trouble. He had made a, a name for himself. Um, we, we switched two schools in his first year in high school. So we went from one high school. We took him then to a, a private school. We thought that might help because that was a little bit more strict, you know, but little did we know that 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 really didn't didn't help. As a matter of fact, he got kicked out of that school. Well, the, the school principal said, you've got two choices. You can take him out voluntarily or he'll be expelled. <laughs> so, oh, and that was like a, an expensive, you know, $9,000 a year back then, you know, private school. Mm. And uh, he then went into to a regular secondary school. But I think it's really important to share with, with the listeners, you know, what happened then before we we really started looking at you know, the way we were parenting. And I love, love, love that a lot of the people that you've interviewed talk about the parents' responsibility. It's not, you know, like it's not the kid. It's not the kid's problem or the kid's fault. It's how we react or, you know, how we deal with things or how we communicate or relationship. But it took us a long time to figure this out. It took us, you know, well over 10 years to figure this out. And, and we, we finally got to a point where when he was about 14, where we just couldn't like parenting this boy who was, he's, he was always beautiful and he is a beautiful, amazing human, but he was trapped inside this, this body that he didn't want to be in. Like he, he, he always used to say, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to feel like this. And my husband and I were so stressed about trying to figure out and trying to help navigate, you know, who he was. But we were still doing so much upside-down parenting. My husband was better at it than I was. I, I tended to focus more on, oh, no, another phone call from the school. Oh, no, you're in trouble again. Like we knew the school's number by heart because we got so many, so many phone mm -hmm. calls. And we finally got to the point where somebody actually recommended um, a counsellor um, or a counselling service that we went to. They didn't help, but it led us to finding out about um, something that wasn't the Nurtured Heart Approach back then, but it was so aligned with the Nurtured Heart Approach, which is why I was so attracted to the Nurtured Heart Approach. Uh, we, we found um, in this counselling office uh, an old video that was called How to Handle the Revolting Child, uh, hence why my book is called The Revolting Child, A Blessing in Disguise. And, yeah. uh, and um, this video my husband actually watched in one of the counselling sessions and this guy, it, you could tell it was a really old kind of video that looked like it was you know, 15 or 20 years old. It was a home done, you know, the old VHS videos. Yep. And down the spine of the video, it just said how to handle the revolting child. Well, when my husband watched that, he cried. 
And my husband's not the type of man who cries. Like I've I've probably known him to cry maybe once or twice in in the time I've known him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Oh my gosh, you know." And he apologized to my son on the way home. He said, "I'm sorry, son. We've 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 been doing this all wrong." Because Frank, this guy in the video, talked about how important the words we use in our communication with our children are. You know, how important, you know, are are we their biggest supporter and fan? Are we, you know, are we that person to them? Are we there, you know, when no matter what's happening for the kid, that they can come to us, their parents, and we are going to support them unconditionally without judgment and we were like oh my gosh you know we have been judging him we have been you know blaming him and saying why this and why that and why how come you're in trouble again and why can't you get it right and I guess through a lot of frustration Roman because you know a lot of parents with kids that that do display these behaviors are very frustrated and whilst you know I believed I was a good parent and a good teacher and a good person I was so frustrated and I took it out on my son so we just started mentoring with Frank he was actually in the states we never met him we did over the phone mentoring with him one-on-one mentoring and there was one instance if I may share this story because I think parents will really relate to this this was kind of the catalyst that made my husband and I really go, oh, my gosh, we've got to change some stuff here. So we got another phone call from the school yet again, (laughs) Um, and the school had said, you know, Caleb's got in trouble for blah, blah, blah again, and he's going to be suspended for 20 days this time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, what's he done? 20 days. And this was towards the end of the year, so it was almost going to take him to the end of the year. And they said, but the main reason we we need to get you up to the school, but the reason we've really called you today is that he's taken off. He's not here. So they wanted to let us know that he'd he'd taken off. And at this point, he's 15 um, and bigger than me, taller than me, stronger than me. And he gets home eventually from school. And instead of being the compassionate mum his biggest supporter and fan, instead of saying, hey, love, you know, what happened today? Tell me about your day. I went straight into upside down parenting. Why did you do that? Where another phone call from the school. I can't believe you, blah, blah, blah. And he's this kid who now towers over me. And I said, you're grounded, like all the wrong stuff, totally, totally upside down. And, and, he just said to me, I won't swear on, on, on this call, but he, he goes, bleep, 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 mum, I'm out of here. And he took off. I couldn't stop him. Like I couldn't say get in your room, you know, like he just took off. And I thought he'd just kind of come home again. And um, anyway, a few hours went by. He hadn't come home. He did have a phone, but he wasn't answering the phone. And eventually my husband got home quite late that night, like about 8 p.m. from work because he owned his own business, so he worked long hours. And uh, my husband decided to jump in the car and go look for him while I stayed at home in case he came home. And my husband was driving around kind of the neighbourhood and uh, he actually bumped into um, a young man who um, our son used to hang around with, an older person. Uh, I know they used to get up to no good together. And anyway, Andrew said, my husband said to this to this person, have you seen Caleb? And he sort of goes, uh, I did a little while ago and he wasn't in a very good state. 
And anyway, so my husband eventually found him in a drunken stupor in the gutter. Like he was so out of it, Roman, that he didn't know his name. He didn't know where he was. He was just totally so out of it. We like he had to be carried into the car. He was vomiting. He was carrying on. And um, it took him two days to sober up two days he was so so out of it goodness knows what he what he'd taken in that in that period of maybe five hours and in the meantime we got on the phone to our mentor and said this is what's happened what do we do because normally we would have said what did you do why did you do that what did you take what did you drink you know like we would have gone into that total upside down stuff again and our mentor actually shared with us to just be there to be his biggest supporter and fan Don't worry about asking questions because what's happened's happened. Let him know that you are there to to love him, to support him, and that everything's going to be okay. And that was really the start of our healing. So this is before Nurtured Heart Approach. This is still a few years before I learned about Nurtured Heart Approach. But what Frank taught us, as I said, was so in alignment. And when our son sobered up, eventually, He was apologizing and he probably thought he was going to be in trouble forever, like he was going to be, you know, grounded forever. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do any of that. We actually followed our mentor's advice and we were just there to love and support him. We never did say, what did you take? We talked about it years later, but we didn't question him. We didn't yell at him. Um, He ended up going back to the school and, um, we went back with him for a so-called discussion. And this is disgusting, Roman, the behaviour that happened at the school. So we had a meeting with the with the then principal and the principal was so negative. All he could talk about was, you know, the how badly behaved our child was. He was the worst child that they've ever seen in the school, et cetera. And, um, and you know, that our, basically told us that our son had no future. Wow. wow. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which and, which was crazy. And you know, it, it, you it, living in this world in this society today, I can understand where such a statement could come from because you're trying to scare a child or you're trying to almost reverse psychology in a way. Mm-hmm. But you're but really, what the child hears is that I there's something wrong with me. I have no future. Things Absolutely. aren't going to work out, right? And I yeah. feel like we throw these words around like they're like soft little squishy little balls, but they're actually like knives. They're like, they really sting. They go in, you know, that's sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our our son was and still is a very strong minded person. And, and I acknowledge that. And and that's a greatness that he has, you know, and so he's now 15 and a half or 15, a few months, wasn't quite 15 and a half because this was just about yeah four months after he turned 15 and um, legally in Australia, they have to be at school until 16. But what happened, what transpired at that meeting when the principal said that, um, and he basically, and uh, sorry, my husband and I had agreed with our son. He said he didn't want to go back to that school. And we agreed that that was okay. And we just said, well, you know, we actually allowed him to make some decisions. And we said, what do you want to do moving forward? We we will, you know, support you in this. And he said, I want to get an apprenticeship. And we're like, okay, that's a great thing to do. So when we said that to the principal, the principal goes, huh, 
who's got no hope of getting an apprenticeship with his attitude and his grades. You know, I've got kids coming out of year 11 and 12 and he's still in year 10 and, by the way, had barely attended the year because he mm. basically either was wagging or got suspended most of the year. <laughs> and and when the principal actually said, you've got no hope, my son, and I'm proud of him for this, it, it was shocking at the time, but he said, you bleep, 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 those same words, you just watch me. And he proceeded to swish everything off the principal's desk onto the floor, knocked all of the <laughs> pictures off his wall and said, you just watch me. And he, he, he stormed out of the room. My husband went after him. I think I sat there crying in shock. And But somehow I was proud of him as well, <laughs> you know, And we never went back to that school. He never even went back and collected his books and stuff. We just never returned to that school. Wow. And and so this is kind of towards the end of the year. Um, It was like, you know, in November. So we said to him, okay, we've made this decision. You're not going back to this school. So what is your plan? What are you going to do? So he didn't want to go back into kind of mainstream, you know, another, another high school per se. So he decided to enrol himself in the following year because it was almost the end of the school year into TAFE, which is like a tertiary education here where a lot of kids go that kind of, you know, don't finish high school, et cetera, and they can complete, for example, year nine and 10 at TAFE. So he enrolled in that for the next year himself. He did it all himself. He got himself up to speed, uh, completed in six months, completed his whole next year because they kind of um, allow them to do it in a quicker time. They kind of condense it. And and then he got himself enrolled in a pre-apprenticeship course. Once again, he did all of this himself. We made none of the calls. He enrolled himself. He went, he, um, he, he did the TAFE course. He got himself into a pre-apprenticeship course. Um, he had to find his own work experience. He went and did that. He knocked on doors. He got his own work experience. As a matter of fact, Roman, he got an apprenticeship with a plumber um, because the plumber was so blown away by his um, attitude, his positive, positive attitude, um, his, um, his, his ability to go and ask for work experience himself because the guy said, oh, usually the parents ring me and say, can you give work experience to my kid? But this, you know, at, at 15, he went out and made it happen himself. And this guy actually took him on as an apprentice um, because he was so impressed with him, you know, with his work ethic and with his attitude. Uh, of course, we had already been doing some work with him, but it was him. He, he, that was him all along. And because this guy was really positive with him, he he just was the best you know, employee for this guy. Um, unfortunately, that man's business um, ended up um, dissolving because of a marriage breakup. So that, that's another story. But he then got into the electrical trade and has now been in business with his dad, um, my husband, who had been out of his trade for 15 years, but went back into it to help support our son. So they've now been in business together for 11 years. And I want my husband to retire, but they're still, they're still working together. And Honestly, with total transparency, once again, in 11 years of them working side by side, they've never had a raised voice. They've never had a disagreement. They've they've had things that, you know, they've had differences opinions on. Raised voices have never happened. There's total and mutual respect. Um, And and 
prior, my husband was clashing, like back when he was 14, 15, my husband was clashing with him so much because um, I was the recipient of a lot of my son's anger and my husband being the great husband was, you know, supportive of me and wasn't happy about how my son was treating me. So there was a lot of kind of um, negativity between their relationship back then. And now I can say they are the best of mates, like, you know, they they not only work together, but they they build cars together, they go camping. My husband actually did a, a nine-week camping trip with him um, two years ago um, in, in a four-wheel drive, and, and I didn't want to go because I was sleeping in swags <laughs> on the ground and stuff like that, and they had the best, best time. So they are the best of mates. Um, wow. Now after, yeah. What a great story. And, you know, again, uh, I always make sure I mention this. We have this series called, you know, so-and-so turned out, like you could say Caleb turned out, right? If he was on the show and it's just, again, for parents to know that, look, first of all, there's no guarantees in life. I always Mm -hmm. say that that's why we have warranties because if there was guarantees, we wouldn't need warranties. So if there's no guarantees, then we don't really know how it's all going to go. But what we do as parents, we go to the loudest, most, you know, the, the, the loudest bullhorn narrative that that is the doctors and the psychologists who say, oh, you better medicate or your mm-hmm. son or daughter will not turn out. Well, here's yet another story of, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, a couple or parents, a family who decided not to medicate mm-hmm. uh, your son, Caleb, and mm-hmm. we can say that he turned out. He's a, it sounds He's like a, a happy happy adult with a good job working with his father, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and again, it, it blows my mind that we think that children like that at three, in your case, three and a half or four years old should have been on medication mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. the pro medication, pro disorder side, and that they mm-hmm. couldn't quote unquote outgrow this thing called ADHD. And guess what? Caleb did it. Mm-hmm. You guys did Absolutely. it. Absolutely. What a success we did story. We together, that. I think. Yeah, I think we did it together. May I share something that I think, I think for me has been the biggest lesson as a parent. um, And I think that other parents listening to this will appreciate. So when we like, we did about 18 months of coaching and mentoring with, with, with Frank, once again, I will get to nurture heart approach, but this is really important pre pre that. Um, And when I wrote this book in uh, 2009, The Revolting Child, A Blessing in Disguise, um, I wrote it in six weeks. Like it literally just poured out of me. Wow. I I published it myself. I literally wrote the book, did the the cover, everything myself, sent it to the printer, got it printed. Anyway, I got invited to do um, a couple of book launches. So I did one book launch just with myself and my husband. And then um, somebody actually said, would you come and do a book launch at such and so a place? And would your son be willing to come along? And I'm like, so he's now 16. Um, you know, he's, he's starting to, you know, settle into life. And and probably things had improved 80 to 90% prior to the prior year. Like it still wasn't perfect, but boy, it was so much better. And anyway, I said to him, would you be willing along to come along to this book launch? And he sort of was a bit reluctant, but he knew how passionate I was about helping other people. So he came along and my husband and I, you know, did the book launch. We, we t- told our story. And at the end of the, the, um, the event, there was a Q&A. 
And a gentleman who I later learned had a 15-year-old daughter in a similar situation, put his hand up and actually said, may I ask your son a question? And he was kind of sitting at the back quietly. And I just looked around and, and kind of said, you know, and he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, okay. And he stood up quite, you know, not enthusiastically, let me put it that way. <laughs> but, but when the guy actually said, Caleb, we've just heard your parents' story about your journey, about where you were just, it was only 10 months prior that he got kicked out of school. So it's not a long time after. Uh, we've heard your story. We've heard where things were at. We've heard and can see where things are at now. What was it, he's asking this directly to Caleb, what was it that took you from where you were then to where things are now? And I'm like, my ears were like, you know, like I'm like, what a great question. I was so keen to hear the answer. And I could see in his face, you know, he just for a couple of seconds contemplating his answer still makes me feel emotional. Mm. And he, he said, oh, my gosh, when I saw the effort that my mum and dad went to to be the best parents they could be, I just wanted to be the best son. Mm. And and that's something that he and we live now. He is the most beautiful son. He he brings me flowers. Like he's he lives with us still, and his partner, and their dog, and their lizards, and their fish, and all their other animals. (laughs) (laughs) And and he brings like if he buys his partner flowers, he brings me flowers. He writes me beautiful notes. He he acknowledges me. He recognises me. We actually use the nurtured heart approach a lot in our home with each other. And uh, he's just the most amazing boy. But I want parents to know if you are struggling at the moment with your child, that they see you when you're making efforts. They see, you know, they see you being their biggest supporter and fan. They see you wanting to improve things and you know even if you're still not perfect you know they see the efforts that you're making and that kind of law of reciprocity they want to reciprocate when they see you making efforts they want to make efforts and and our parenting coach said you treat your child like a king or queen and they will treat you like a king or queen tenfold and that for us was the actual that that was was the truth of the matter Wow. What a beautiful story. I get brought tears yeah. to my eyes. Um, I was looking for tissues, but I don't have <laughs> <laughs> need to get some. Um, but that's beautiful. Really, really great uh, story. And just that that emotional. I felt it. You know, there's like this moment of you could say the the obedience cracks, you know, because it's really just yeah. behavior. It's like just revolting, Absolutely. like you said. Um so yeah. tell yeah that so tell me about the nurtured heart approach. You said you also use this in your home, so I'm sure the the listeners yeah. are like, oh, all right, what is it? And there's an episode on that we we did with Howard Glazer, yeah. the founder. But uh, yeah. I'd love to hear it from you how you've integrated it into your family and just yeah. when you work with parents. Yeah. Thank you so much. So a few years later, so 2013, I was uh, at a like a um, a teen you know, youth uh, event where there were, you know, practitioners and psychologists and, and you know, people who supported um, 
troubled youth. And I got talking to this psychologist, um, a, a lady, and, you know, we were conversing and, you know, I said, what do you do? And she told me and she asked me what I did. And I told her about our journey and the work that we'd done with Frank. And she goes, oh, is that the Nurtured Heart Approach? And I'm like, I've never heard of the Nurtured Heart Approach. It's kind of the Lily and Ricky approach. And she goes, oh, my gosh, I've just heard about the Nurtured Heart Approach. You should check it out. So I wrote it down in my diary. I went home and did what all good people do, got on Google and um, Googled Nurtured Heart Approach. Five hours later, I kid you not, five hours later, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is what I've been looking for. This is so, because I was already a parenting coach. I was already working with parents, but I was kind of doing it a bit more anecdotal, you know, what's your challenge, you know, this is what, like, whereas I was kind of looking for something that was a little bit more systematic, I guess, that I could teach and help parents with and, and, and implement in our own home. And so Everything I read, I listened to every video that Howard Glasser had made at that time back in 2013, which there was a lot of, and I'm like, this is it. This was so in alignment with what we learned from our mentor, Frank, but it kind of took it further. And so to cut a bit of a, a story um, short, I actually ended up emailing America going, okay, is there a presence here in Australia? Because I couldn't see anything online in Australia. And they said, we're just about to introduce it formally into Australia. We have a psychologist who's introducing it. And I'm like, wow, where is this person? How do I get in touch with them? And I live in the Gold Coast in Queensland. And I'm like, this person could be in Melbourne. They could be in Brisbane. They could be in Sydney. They could be in Perth. They could be anywhere. And when I was finally put in touch with this psychologist, he was in the same suburb as me. (laughs) So I became a groupie. Every training he did, I attended. I just followed him everywhere. And then eventually in 2014, Howard Blasser came out to Australia and did his first certified training intensive, which I did in 2014. And I was one of the first uh, Nurtured Heart Approach trainers in Australia. Uh, 2021, I became an advanced trainer. And the reason I really aligned with Nurtured Heart Approach was firstly because when they talked about the upside down parenting, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we were doing. And I think so many of us parents with all the love in our hearts, with all the best intentions of wanting to be the best parents we can be, we do parent upside down. We do give more attention, energy, you know, connection, relationship to things going wrong instead of looking for what's going right. And I so align with the nurtured heart approach because I've, I've kind of always thought I was a positive person, but really when I reflected in my parenting, I maybe wasn't so positive. I maybe was focusing more on the stuff that was going wrong. Even when things were improving, I guess, you know, I didn't give so much recognition to to what was going right, even if, you know, sometimes they were just baby steps towards, you know, better improvement. So the nurtured heart approach, and people can listen into your interview with Howard Glasser, but Basically, there's three stands. So stand one is absolutely no. And this is the part that I loved. And this is the part that I had to really work on is we're not going to give energy, you know, connection and relationship to the things that we don't want to grow. So, you know, I use this analogy. I've got actually I've got my watering can. I use this analogy of a watering can. If you had, you know, if you've got beautiful nutrient rich water and you take it out into your garden you're not going to go and water the weeds because we don't want the weeds to grow do we 
But in our parenting and in our relationshiping, we're watering the weeds often. We're giving more attention, more connection, more relationship to the things that are going wrong, the rules that are being broken, the misbehaviour, the disrespect, the fighting with the siblings. And kids get to learn that that's how they get more of us as parents because kids are seeking relationship, whether they're well-behaved kids or whether they're challenging kids, kids are seeking relationship from us. We're their favourite toys. But we teach them inadvertently that they're getting more of us when they muck up. And then when they do the right thing, we might give them what Howard calls junk food praise, good job, well done, thank you. But that's not telling them, you know, why that was a good job and what that says about them as a person. So stand two in the nurtured heart approach is absolutely yes, which is giving beautiful heartfelt um, acknowledgement to what the child is doing well and what that shows about that person. You know, that shows me that you've got great respect. That shows me that you've got great self-control. That shows me that you're a really kind and thoughtful person. Like, what does that mean to them? So we want to build up what we call their inner wealth. So we want our kids to have not only good self-esteem and self-worth, but self-respect, self-love. We want them to know who they are as a person. So as they grow, you know, you've still got young children, as they grow into, you know, teenagers and adolescents and early adulthood, we want them to, to know I am a good person. I do have good self-control. I can be cooperative. I am worthy. I I I'm loving, I'm thoughtful, I'm considerate, you know, I, and I'm this great person, whereas so many kids today, their, their, what we call their portfolio is so full of stuff. I'm not good enough. I'm always in trouble. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. And there's very little positive in their portfolio. And then they take that portfolio and they carry that into adulthood. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve. And they attract inappropriate um, partners, relationships, jobs, and then, you know, it affects their whole life. So this is why I'm so passionate about parenting because what we do as parents ultimately can determine the adult that our child will be in the life that they will live and the relationships they'll have. That is how important the role of parenting is. You know, some parents just think it's just our job to get them from a to B, but it's not, you know, we we are we are here to help build them into the person that we and they want to be, you know, and that's why I love the nurtured heart approach because it's all about building the person and mm. you know, understanding which is stand three, understanding, you know, clear boundaries and consequences and you know, teaching the child to reset and self-regulate and but it's really all about building the child up and using appropriate language so that the child feels good about themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm currently running a course and I've got people in my course whose kids were totally defiant, oppositional, unhappy, parents were stressed. And the feedback that I'm getting from the parents is so heartwarming because the parents are saying, I've got my kids back. My kids are being respectful because I'm being respectful. My kids are listening because I'm listening. My kids are being thoughtful because I'm being thoughtful. So it all starts with us. And I love what <laughs> our um, Frank told us back in the days. He goes, if you've got a revolting child in your home, look in the mirror. You know, uh -huh. like 
you're 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 to blame it's not about the child it's not about a diagnosis it's not about a set of conditions that the you know boxes that they're ticking in the dsm look in the mirror and and we took total responsibility for that and we now live this you know this is how we communicate this is how we Mm -hmm. relationship with people that's amazing beautiful way yeah yeah and you bring up something that i'm very passionate about is you know back in the day i don't know the year at this point um but it doesn't matter because when autism uh sort of first came on the scene there was a uh, i believe it was a researcher and psychologist who said uh, coined the term refrigerator, ref, I can never say this, a tongue twister, refrigerator <laughs> mother, yeah. because he wanted to make a point that yeah. mothers who are not warm and nurturing could have an mm-hmm. effect on a child's nervous system. And, you know, I get That's where great. he was coming from, but mm-hmm. what happened, he's got so much, he got so much backlash that basically mm-hmm. nowadays, how that backlash evolved is it, it turns into this slogan that I hear today on talk shows and, and, you know, medical shows, I hear uh, hosts saying things like, oh, don't worry, parent. It's not about bad parenting, like ADHD or autism is not about bad parenting. And I always think, well, it isn't, but it is, it's unconscious parenting. Yeah, It's not being aware of the power we have, like you said, with words and actions, um, putting stuff, as you so beautifully said, in your child's portfolio, into your child's portfolio. And I wanted to add to that, like, you know, what we're putting into is in the case of ADHD is I'm broken. I'm not normal. I'm not, you know, like you said, I'm not good enough. We all have some of that. But when you're really, when you feel like you're broken and your brain is not working well and you're not normal, how Mm -hmm. could you possibly turn around and become a confident result producing human being it's almost a big struggle it's possible but it's a big struggle you know absolutely I I really feel like we've got to break that generational you know way of of communicating and relationshiping not only as parents but with each other you know to build each other up to acknowledge each other for our strengths and for our greatness you know so many adults you know particularly if they had lived a childhood where they weren't acknowledged And then, you know, not many people are acknowledged, for example, in the workplace these days, you know, if everybody would use this way of communicating and relationshiping, I mean, I even use it down the street, you know, when I'm shopping and it blows people away. Like if, you know, I go into a shop and, and the, you know, the person, you know, folds my clothes nicely and and puts them in the bag nicely, I acknowledge them for that. And I say, thank you, you know, so much for taking so much time to put my clothes in there you know, that really shows that you care about your customers and that you care that, you know, my clothes are not going to be all crunched up by the time they get home. And they're like, oh, what? okay. You know, like they're yeah. really quite shocked. And I, I love to, you know, I love to, to take opportunities to, to acknowledge people because, you know, as adults, you know, we don't get that much, not, not what we call juicy acknowledgement. Once again, we, we might give out and get a lot of junk food you know, praise. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit nourishing, but not really nourishing, you know, but um, right. nurture heart approach becomes, it really becomes a way that we just communicate in relationship with people ongoing and it's beautiful. But I love, I love, love, love seeing like the results that parents get. In my current class, I've got quite a few parents with um, so-called diagnosed, well, actually everybody in the class has got diagnosed children, whether it be ADHD or um, on the uh, autistic spectrum disorder. 
um, with some some nonverbal, you know, autistic uh, diagnosed children as well. Um, but everybody's getting results, even with the, the children who are nonverbal. So um, because, you know, kids even even sometimes we think they might not understand fancy words like, you know, um, that shows a lot of respect or, you know, self-control or, you know, um, cooperation. If little you think little kids might not understand those words, but they do get they do get to understand that what mum and dad is saying is something positive and it makes them feel good. And, you know, even the tonality of our, I talk about tonality of voice as well, because some kids respond more to, to tone than to actual words. So, you know, usually if we're giving a heartfelt recognition, we're using a nice tonality in our voice and kids pick up on that as well. And energetically as well, because kids like as parents, Roman, you know, I'm sure we've all done it We've, you know, where, you know, you might have had words with somebody in, in a loud voice in one room and we think, oh, the kids can't hear. But, you know, they pick up on that energy. So they they really do. And it's so important to. Yeah, to I mean, it, it, we don't have to be perfect as parents and, and you know, nobody's perfect, but to, you know, to to be very mindful um, I always say to parents, par parents say to me, what, what is one tip, you know, that you would really pass on to parents is, is to think before you speak. I have this um, acronym I call the BOP, B-O-P, which is, you know, if you're feeling escalated or angry over something that one of the kids has done, have done or, you know, just what have you, you do the BOP. So you breathe, you take some nice deep breaths um, and you open your heart. And I think that's a really important, open your heart and say to yourself, okay, what is it that I want? How do I want to feel? How do I want the person I'm communicating to feel? And then you just pause. So you breathe, open your heart and pause. And that could just take three seconds. But before right. you go in to communicate or to answer or to respond, you do the bop and you take the time to focus on what is the outcome you want from whatever you're going to say to your child or to this person, because once a once a word is said to our child or to you know to each other, in it's said, you know it can't right. be taken back. Yeah. yeah, no, that's beautiful. The bop, yeah. Breathe, open your heart, and pause, and then your way of being, your words, your acting, the whole energy will shift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead of yeah. throwing gasoline on the fire. Mm -hmm. Or maybe offering to kind of pull some air out of the fire and eventually the flames will go down and, you know, yeah. Yeah. that's beautiful. Now, mm -hmm. Lillian, uh, what you know today, right? So I want to ask, this is for the parents listening. What advice would you give to parents who are, who, whose ch children just got diagnosed or recently diagnosed or about to go get tested? Knowing what you know now, um, if you were in this situation again, where would you start your journey? Like, what would you, and you've mentioned some of these things earlier, but maybe as a sum up, like, yeah. where would you, where would you want them to start? I mean, first of all, I would get the parents to, to do that exercise, to really open their heart, to think about what is the outcome that I want here for my child, not only today, not only this year, but next year, five years, 10 years, you know, what is the outcome you want? It's it's a happy and healthy child. It's connected relationships. It's love, mutual love, mutual respect. All of those, whenever I ask parents, that's what they want. We want mutual respect. We want our kids, not like kids love their parents usually un unconditionally, but 
they don't always like them, you know. So, like, we want connected relationships. I mean, the fact that my 29-year-old son is still at home happily and, you know, voluntarily, he doesn't need to be, but we enjoy, we sit down and have meals together, you know, we've got that sort of relationship. So I, I would ask parents to focus future pace. What is it, that the outcome that you want moving forward? And then, and then look at, you know, what can you do to get to, you know, to, to that outcome? And for me, with my 25 plus years of experience doing this now, it's a little bit like, I guess, baking a cake. So for me, the most important thing is relationships. So to work on your relationship, um, no matter how fractured it might be, I had a lady who, who called me last night who's about to join my course who's got a 19-year-old just with a fractured relationship that she just wants to improve. So relationships are everything. Like that's really what I feel you've got to work on, um, that connection, that, you know, mutual I call it the law of mutuals mutual respect mutual love mutual you know mutual um, um, mutual everything basically so it's not just the parent you know saying to the child you must respect me you've got to respect them back so look at your relationship but I believe because I do work with my eldest son um, Nathan who is a naturopath herbalist and nutritionist who by the way became that because of his younger brother's journey. He's seven and a half years older. So we work together and my eldest son, as a matter of fact, he's speaking tonight in our course. So he's talking about the gut and food and diet and water. Um, last time he spoke about emotional health and well-being. So you've got to really look quite holistically. And I know, like, I don't want to overwhelm parents. You've got to do everything at once because there is a lot that you can work on, but just feel into you know, where you'd like to start. So for us, we started with the physiology, you know, with the, the diet and, and getting rid of toxins and, you know, just having a healthy home. But in retrospect, Roman, knowing what I now know, I would recommend starting with the relationship. That would be my first thing. Because when a kid, a child feels loved, feels connected, feels seen, feels heard, feels acknowledged, unconditionally loved then their behaviors are going to diminish just like our son who said when we saw our parents you know be the best parents they could be I wanted to be the best son so that's where I would start I would love for them to explore the nurtured heart approach of course because I think that is the most beautiful way to communicate and relationship and it's like kind of learning a new language but it's so worth it. Um, but there are, like, as I've heard you talk about in your podcast, there are so many different therapies that you can do, et cetera. But I definitely believe starting with yourself as the parent, um, looking at, at us as a person, you know, not just as a parent, but that relationshiping side of things, you know, to really relationship from the heart, I think is really, really important. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I agree. I've always said that, you know, as parents, we can be responsible for uh, uh, having a child like that in our lives. And we can also just accept it and then move forward yeah. and say, what can we now do before we use medication, before we even would, you know, accept a label 
that that yeah. brands our child is broken. And yeah. I think there's a lot we can do. And again, I always say that, look, there's a small percentage of uh, uh, exceptions where medication may be needed to hold someone over for six months while life changes, you know, but usually ends up being becoming a crutch. Um, and then people do it for years and years and years and years. So what I'm hearing here as well is just like really focus on, on the relationship first and uh, yeah. create this, this co-regulation that there's harmony yeah. between the parent and the child. Absolutely. And then yes, there's a lot of work like diet and exercise mm -hmm. and consumption and where we live, what school we go and so forth. Yeah. Right. All of it matters. Mm. That's beautiful. I, I think that, and in my experience over the years, for some parents, they feel it's overwhelming and popping a pill is easier, you know, and yeah. I might be being a little bit judgmental and I probably am, but, you know. Parents, well, it is easier. It's not a, I, I mean, I agree it could be judgmental, but it literally is easier to pop a pill. Like I get it, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's funny because um, I actually uh, was thinking, I was listening to your podcast this morning, The Obedience Pills, and uh, it took me back to, so may I share this story? Because I think oh, it's really please. relevant. Absolutely. Um, back, back. Um, so when we first started educating parents back when our son was, you know, five, five, five and so forth on, in the earlier days, we used to do this seminar called Hidden Dangers, which is the name of my first book, which is more about ADHD, the medications. Like I talk about a lot about the medications, the side effects. I talk about diet, you know, food additives, what's in our personal care products, you know, more about the kind of physical stuff, toxins and EMFs and all that sort of thing. And my husband and I used to tour the country. Literally, we did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seminars back in the days based on that book. And we used to have people say, well, you come and speak here. We might do a, a small one with 50 people. Then we might do one with 500 people. And we did hundreds of those over the years. And that's how I used to sell my books, et cetera, and, you know, get the information out there. But I used to do this thing <laughs> in the bigger seminars where, um, <laughs> and I, I can't remember the doctor, the obedience pills doctor that spoke on that episode, but I loved him um, and his information was amazing. And I used to, as a part of our seminar, my husband and I kind of used to tag team. And at one point I would just kind of slip out the back and then I would um, dress up and my husband would start introducing this guest speaker. And he would he would introduce this um, guest speaker as Dr. Drugamol. <laughs> D-R-U-G apostrophe E-M or Dr. Dr. And I would come out in a white doctor's coat and I had a, a like a, a label, Dr. Drugamore, like I'd made this lovely label, come up with my steth stethoscope and my glasses on, pretending to be this, you know, pseudo-psychiatrist, Dr. Drugamore. Mm. And I would actually come out with my DSM, Diagnostical Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, and the MIMS, which is the, the book that talks about all the different medications, et cetera, like two big books. And when we had to fly, that would be half of my luggage allowance. These two <laughs> big books. And I would come out carrying these two big books and then Andrew would introduce me and I would actually get all of the audience to stand up and I would open my, my uh, DSM, first of all, to ADHD. And I would read the criteria for a 
So basically, I would say to the audience, right, I want everybody to think of a young person in your life. If you have a child or a neighbor or a grandchild, you know, preferably kind of like a teenage year person, I go, okay, has everybody got somebody? Yep. So everybody stand up and I want you to count on your fingers. And I would read out the criteria for ADHD. And I would say to the audience, whenever one applies to this child that you're thinking of, any child, it's not a diagnosed child, just any child, I want you to count. And when you get to six, because I think there were, was there um, 12 or nine or something criteria? And I think mm. they had to have six to be diagnosed by a, a, a psychiatrist. When you get to six, I want you to sit down. And once I got past six, the first six, which were, were the main ones, people started sitting, 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 sitting. And in this particular seminar that we actually had a professional come and record, there were about 500 people there. So it was a, a reasonably sized audience. And at the end of that, more and more people kept sitting. And I said to the people at the front, turn around and look behind you. And there was hardly anybody standing. By the time I finished, there were only three people left out of about 500 who had not like those, all of those people had diagnosed their, the team or the person they were thinking of with ADHD. And then the, the people, the three people who were left, I actually got the DSM out and there was a condition called um, denial of physical disorder or non-compliance of physical, it was an actual disorder. And then I I said, well, the, the three of you left have been diagnosed with non-compliance. <laughs> and so it became kind of a, a funny thing. And then I did the same thing with ODD as well. And even though it was kind of done in jest, but the penny dropped with everybody in the audience. They're like, okay, this is just a regular kid that I was thinking of, my, my child or the neighbour or the grandchild or what have you. But everybody diagnosed that child with, with ADHD according to the, the DSM. And then I would get out the, um, the MIMS and I would say, okay, everybody, let me see what we can give you to help your child. And I'd go and I'd, you know, I'd read about the, the side effects of, of uh, Ritalin or Dexamphetamine or Stratera or Concerta or something. And and they'd be like, oh, <laughs> you know, like so I didn't have to lecture them about the the, yeah. the, the dangers of the medication. I was reading directly from the, the MIMS. That's, so that's, it, it, that's yeah. wonderful. I love that. And I could just see the, you know, it's it's both humorous uh in its appearance and the, the, yeah. the showmanship but yeah. it's it's a very truthful and very visually revealing exercise to, yeah. to to show that uh it's not that hard to get diagnosed as a child nowadays you know exactly. I know that sounds like a weird way to put it but it really isn't hard you you can get diagnosed pretty quickly and then the pill is the first recommendation or the most effective yeah. as they call it right yeah. Wow. Well, Lillian, you've shared a lot of good feedback from that. Yeah. 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 And I want to say you've shared a lot of great information with us uh, today. I don't want to overload parents. I know it's a step by step kind of approach, but I just want to acknowledge you talking about acknowledgement for the difference that you're making with your, you know, support, your parent support network, you being a parent support network, parenting strategist, uh, relationshiping strategist, if you will, or whisperer, yeah. maybe uh, nurtured heart approach educator. Uh, and I really get your passion to not only your son and sons and your, your, your husband, your family, but also to other families and children. So I want to, I want to thank you, acknowledge you for, for the difference you make. Thank you. And, and likewise, I, 
so admire what you're doing with your movement. I so align with it and I so appreciate that you, you're really out there for parents, helping parents to just to get educated and to, to really have them think, you know, before they might take action. You know, as I've heard you say many times, if it helps one family, what you do is worth it. But I'm sure that you're impacting many, many thousands of families. So, you know, I, I really want to acknowledge you for, for the for the movement that you 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 are doing, um, and not only for your family, but you know, for so many hundreds and thousands of families out there. So, yeah, thank mm. you, appreciate thank you, Lillian. I really appreciate that. I, it means a lot to me, and and I just want to thank you uh, also for writing the books uh, you wrote. Uh, you had mentioned that your um, your book, The uh, Revolting Child, A Blessing in Disguise, is available for free uh, on your website. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to put all those links in the show notes so our listeners can get in touch with you, can check out more about your work and download the book. And uh, there's some really great stuff, including some uh, Facebook uh, pages and groups. So I will post that as well. Um, and I just want to wish you all the best moving forward. And I'm so happy to hear that Caleb turned out and he's having a beautiful relationship with his mother, father, uh, the business. And it's just, again, it's, it's a success story. And I want parents to know there is hope. Mm -hmm. There is success around the corner. It is hard work. But wouldn't you agree, Lillian, that in the, during the process of that, what we call hard work, we mm -hmm. as parents transform and we become better human beings? Oh, absolutely. I I wouldn't I wouldn't take away not one of those experiences, even the most challenging ones, because it's really taken us to where we are now. And and I, I you know I know that our our family is so close. You know, as as we have five adults in this house, all you know, all getting on beautifully and cooperatively and, and mutually respectfully. I wouldn't take away any of it. But it was a journey. It is a journey, parents. Parenting is a journey. Let's face it. You know, like, and, and why not make it a joyful one and a loving one and a, and you know a fulfilling and connected one. And yeah. it's worth the effort. It really is worth the effort. And unfortunately, there is no pill for speeding up parenting. No. So <laughs> we got to go through it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, so enjoy. Well, thank, you, yeah. thank you, Lillian. And please uh, give my regards to Caleb. And uh, maybe in the future, uh, he might be on the show. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, maybe we'll do a follow up with you as well. I'm always into that. And, uh, and thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, Roman. <laughs>